0: here's the message today. Living God's principles opens our lives to God's presence. When you and I live God's principles, we can read about in this book, it opens our lives to God's presence. Man, guys, I want you to experience God's presence all the time. That's my prayer. That's my hope for all of us, that we would be people of the presence. You know, when you and I experience God's presence, what we're experiencing is God's kingdom. You realize that? It's his kingdom. We are kingdom people. As as followers of Jesus, we're not just citizens of a country. We're citizens of a kingdom, God's kingdom, that will last forever. Hey, Someday, all the countries will be gone, but one kingdom will last, and it is God's, God's kingdom. And we are citizens of that kingdom. And that's what it means when we get to experience God's presence. We're experiencing his kingdom. We get to experience his power, his protection, his provision. And so I just pray that you and I would live according to God's principles so our lives can be open to his presence more and more in our life. I was reading about a guy named Sam Houston this week. There's an interesting guy, Sam Houston was, lived back in the 1800s. The city of Houston was named after him, as you might guess. Also, Sam Houston State University was named after Sam Houston, as you might guess. Uh, Very interesting guy. He, uh, as a teenager, ran away from home, and he went and lived with the Cherokees for three years, which is unheard of in that time. Like, he made friends with them, lived with them, embraced their culture, their custom, their ways of living. He took on the name Black Raven, and that relationship he developed with the Cherokees proved to be very valuable for him and for even for our country later on, as he grew up to be a lawyer, he was a politician, and he was an army general, and he became the first president of Texas before it was a state. It was like the, the Texas country, the country of Texas right now, which they kind of still think them, of themselves as a, a country, right? <laughs> Sam Houston was the first, Right. And he was known as a, as a wild man. Man, this guy was loud-mouthed, abrasive, sometimes obnoxious, and super rough until he met Jesus. And Jesus changed this guy's life. George W. Baines was the guy that led him to Jesus. He was a pastor. Pastor George led him to Jesus. And interesting thing about Pastor George, he was Lyndon B. Johnson's great-grandfather. So Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ, 36th president of the United States, most famous for maybe being the vice president for JFK, right? And then became the president after the assassination and then had actually another term. And so he was our president for most of the 60s. LBJ's great-grandfather was a pastor. It was Pastor George Baines who led Sam Houston. That's kind of a little side trail there, but it's kind of interesting, isn't it? A little history for us on Memorial Weekend. So Pastor George led led Sam Houston to Christ, and when he was baptized, which was an incredible event for those who knew him, they're like, this is the least likely guy that ever come to Jesus and become a Christian. That's the kind of guy he was. They were just astounded that he would give his life to Jesus and become baptized. And then after that, he offered to pay the minister, half of the minister's salary. And so people were like, whoa, like what's going on here, Sam? And when someone asked him why, he said, well, my pocketbook was baptized too. I thought, what a great perspective there. It was just this interesting story that I read about a guy named Sam Houston. He demonstrated really that he he experienced the reality of God's grace. And out of that, he just wanted to give God's grace. He was just a generous giver. And I just love that quote. My pocketbook was baptized too. Really what he's saying is all of me was baptized. I gave everything to Jesus, and he's felt led to respond in that way. You know what's interesting is over the last 100 years, 125 years or so, there used to be a lot of books, percentage-wise, that were written about Christian stewardship and financial stuff, and now in today's day and age, we got like tens of thousands of books coming out every year uh, in Christian literature. You'll find very, very few that speak to Christian stewardship and how to manage our money. Very, very Few. And throughout that time, of course, America has grown more and more wealthy. And the wealthier we've gotten, the less we've given as a country. It's said that dollar for dollar, the average American gave more during the Great Depression than today. And I believe God's calling us to be generous people. We see that so clearly in his scripture. We serve a generous God. He's calling us to be generous. And so let's talk about this. Living according to God's principles opens our lives to God's presence, right? And here's why. Because God's principles work. Let's state the obvious. God's principles they work. Why? Because he thought this whole thing up. He like he spoke the universe into existence and all the laws of nature and all the principles like he thought it all up. Following his principles works because he's the one that authored all of these things. And so we're gonna look at his principles again today. You know, a lot of people go to the Bible for comfort and for guidance. Most people don't think, I need to go to the Bible for some financial assistance. We don't usually think that, right? In fact, if we were given permission to edit this book, we might be tempted to take out a lot of stuff, especially the ones pertaining about how to handle money and possessions, all that kind of stuff. If we're honest, we might be tempted to do that. Did you know that money and possessions is referenced twice as much in the Bible than prayer and faith? So this is an important topic. There's so much in this. We could spend all year in a series like this, and I just pray that we would be people who are eager to learn and grow about what God has to say about how we handle this part of our life, the financial part of our life. Randy Alcorn, he said this. He said, and he, this is a guy who has studied extensively. He's written some great books on how to manage your money, according to the Bible. He says, The Bible shows that our handling of money is a litmus test of our true character. It's an index of our spiritual life. Our stewardship of our money and possessions becomes the story of our lives. So true. And so as we talk about finances, I recognize this is one of the most stressful things for people to deal with in their life. Typically, the financial stress we experience is the worst kind of stress. Not always, but typically throughout the totality of life. And when people write prayer requests on their Connect card, a lot of them are financial ones. We get a lot of those. And that's great. You have any prayer requests, put them on the Connect card. We love to pray for you and with you. We love seeing God answer those prayers. In fact, this last week, we had an answered prayer. Did you know, we've been praying for weeks for our friend Viet wow. to get a new kidney or to be healed by Jesus. Wouldn't you know, he's been on the list for, I mean, this has been my three-year journey for him. And this last week, he got the call, he got the invite, he was given a new kidney. He is in the hospital today, recovering. Several of our friends, and Pastor John Mark had a chance to visit him, I mean, he's recovering well. Viet, if you're listening, you watching, we love you, buddy. Answered prayer, guys, as he is recovering, continue to pray for him, this is huge a big deal. But all that to say this, that we love to pray for you and with you. Put it down on the connect card. We want to agree with you in prayer. And maybe you feel like this would just take a miracle. We know someone who performs miracles. Let's go to the miracle worker. Finances is often one of those things. Put that down as well. If that's one of those things, we'll pray for you. Finances is said to be the number one thing that couples argue about too. So this is a big stress point. I get it. I know when we start talking finances, some of us can feel a little uncomfortable. In my 25, 26-plus years of ministry, I know that this is one of those topics that people are like, I don't know if I really want to hear about that or grow in that. It's as if we can talk about the devil and hell, but we start talking about the tithe, and people are like, I don't know. know, It's like, I'd rather hear about the hell and devil kind of stuff. But tithe, that word just freaks us out. But here's what I want to, I just want to let you guys know that you and I can trust the Lord with every area of our life, especially our finances. And I want you to know that tithe could, can, will be one of the most freeing things in your life. It will bring freedom to you like never before. And so we want to live according to God's principles that opens our lives to God's presence. So with that in mind, let's go to Malachi 3. We looked at this last week. Let's just look at one of the verses that we looked at last week. Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. This is where we get the title of the series, Open Heavens. Like, I want you to live under an open heaven. And as you and I trust God with this principle, this principle of the tithe, God says, I will supernaturally do something over your life that you cannot do on your own. I mean, just think about the spiritual significance of this. As you and I honor him with our finances, God says supernaturally, I will open heavens up over you. The implications of that are pretty profound. That's pretty amazing that God would do that in light of you and I just trusting him in this area. I want you to live under an open heaven. And he goes on to describe that. It's, he's like, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. So you'll notice here that God says to them, he says, bring the tithe to me. He doesn't say give the tithe. He says, bring it, which is another sign of God saying, this already belongs to me. So if you have something and you you want someone else to have it, what do you have to do is you have to give it to them, right? I have it now and I give it to them. But God's saying, you're not giving it to me. It already belongs to me. So just bring it as a part of your worship. And this is something the Israelites did for generations when they were walking in obedience to the Lord. And when they weren't, they didn't do things like this. And so this is one of those times where they weren't trusting in God. They were neglecting the tithe. And so God is speaking to them directly. He says, bring the tithe, in the New Living, it said, bring all the tithe. Maybe your translation, it says, bring the whole tithe. Perhaps they were just bringing some of it, three, four, 5% of it, which, you know, if I say I'm gonna tithe, but I'm giving 5%, that's not a tithe, right? I'm just giving, it's an offering. Uh, but a tithe really is a tenth. That's what a tithe is. And so maybe they were just doing a small percentage of it or whatever, God says, you gotta bring it all. Bring the whole tithe. And so they're supposed to bring that 10%. They're supposed to bring the first 10%. That's what they're bringing. It's that first fruits concept. Have you heard of that word before? The first fruits. Proverbs 3 says this, says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now what you see in this Proverbs passage is a little similarity to the Malachi passage. You honor me with your wealth, is what God's word says, and there's going to be blessings. There's going to be overflow in your life. I will take care of you, is what God says. So very similar concept here. So we're called to honor the Lord with our, with our wealth, with the first fruits. The tithe, it speaks to the amount. The first fruits really speaks to the nature of this offering. It was the first production of the crops. And so, As the Israelites would bring the tithe of the first fruits, what they were bringing is they're bringing their first and they're bringing their best to God. That's what that is. It's the first and it's the best. And as they did that, they were declaring something very clearly in their life and even to the nations around them, God, we trust you with everything. It all belongs to you. And we trust you with the rest of the harvest, with, with, with the rest of our wealth, with everything else, God. You are the God of the harvest. And so as we bring the first fruits, this first 10% to you, we know that you're going to do way more with what else comes, whatever else comes after that. They could trust me in that. And so it was a, a declaration of belief and worship and obedience to God, to the surrounding nations, and to their kids so they could train their kids like watch kids. As we trust God with this, watch what God does. He will bless us. He's gonna take care of us. He's gonna protect us. He's gonna do so many things in our life. And this is one of the ways that we wanna make sure that we obey and worship the Lord. Now, did you know that the Israelites actually had three tithes? So every year, they would literally give 20%. And then every third year, they had another tithe, another 10% they would give. And so that year, they would give 30% to God. So that averages out to math majors, about 23%, right? And so the, all these tithes were used to operate the worship to God by the Israelites. They were used to um, fill the temple. They were used for sacred festival. They were used to upkeep the house of God. They were used to provide for the priests and the families. And then that, that offering or that tithe every third year, that went to orphans, widows, and the poor. And so God used all of this to really to take care of Everybody. Everybody. So when the Israelites were doing this, they were living in obedience to God, and for them, they just knew this was the starting point. They viewed this as God's. God had asked them to do it. It had actually become a law at this point, point. and here's why God said to do this. He says, I want you to tithe because it will teach you, you will learn to fear the Lord. That's what it does. You learn to fear the Lord. How's your fear of God. I think this is something we need to grow in today's day and age. Like, there's a lot of people that are afraid of a lot of things. There's only one thing you need to fear, and that's fear God. And what that means is not that you're scared of God and you should run from him. It just means that you have this awe, this respect, this reverence of how great he is, how incredible he is, how amazing God is. He's loving and perfect and gracious and merciful and just and all of these things all at once. He is so incredible. Like this awe of how great God is, that's a fear of him. It's also a deep desire to please him and him alone. That's what it means to fear God. I want to please him. You see, a fear of man, which the Bible calls a, a, a snare, it's a trap. A fear of man causes us to please people. Like I live to please other people. I want them to think highly of me and good of me. That is a fear of man. It is a trap. That's what it is. We want to live in a fear of God, where I just live to please you, God. I live to worship you. Well, this world is crazy right now. Our country, uh, there's crazy things happening in our country and our world right now, and fear is running rampant. This is why I think we need to grow in a healthy fear of the Lord, like, if you follow the news, and I know people that follow the news, and it just gets the best of them. Some of us need to lighten our dose of the news and increase our dose of God's word here so that our, our, our fear can be broken, our fear of man and fear of other things, so that we can just grow in our fear of God and trusting him and walk in the freedom that he has for us. And so maybe we should limit our exposure to all of that and, and, and increase our exposure of this and watch your faith increase and watch what God does in your life. But I mean, there's crazy things happening, though. And if you fill yourself with all this news and media stuff, it's it can just mess with you. I know that's why I limit my intake very, very intentionally, because I know it messes with me. But like our government right now is dabbling with digital currency. Did you know that? They're testing it right now. Uh, there's a lot of people that want to move to a fully digital currency as a country, which is interesting on one part, and Scary and crazy on other parts, right? So then that means everything we spend goes through them. Like the banks already have a lot of power. They can shut down people's bank accounts if they are doing things they don't agree with, which already is crazy. And now then that, the government would have more power to control lots of things. You know, you read in Revelation where they had, uh, they had no power to buy and sell things. That's what that, that's the direction the whole world's heading. So you start thinking about this, the implications of this. You can get pretty scared, and then you think about what's going on in our country right now. They're trying to work on this debt ceiling thing. Have you, have you been following this? Like the deadline was this week. And if they don't figure this issue out, like our economy will collapse. And so they extended the deadline to next week. And if you follow that too closely, I'm telling you, it'll mess you up. I really believe they will figure it out, guys, just so you know. But there's a lot of people that tell you what will happen if they don't figure it out. And it's like we all might as well move into the mountains and live off the land. It's kind of a thing, Right? It's kind of, it's like doomsday preppers. It's like they're all going to be our friends. So even if the, the economy collapses again, I mean, just so you guys know, we can trust the Lord. You'd have nothing to fear. We want to fear Him and just trust in Him in all areas of our life, especially in this area. And I want to give you some good practical advice in your finances today, because this is going to help some people. So I hope you're ready to learn and, and grow. But um, this is important for us to grow in this topic. How do I manage my finances in a god honoring way? It's important for us to train up the younger generation, train up our kids. My son has his first real job right now. He's working at the golf course down the road, which is awesome because dad gets free golf. So my like, good job, son. It's a good place to work, which I haven't been able to take advantage of that yet, but... The idea of it feels good. So he works at this 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. shift. That's early, right? Okay, but he's loving it. So he's just finished his first two weeks of his first full-time real job. And so this week, he's getting his first real paycheck. And so we were talking about this over the last week and sat down yesterday and talked some more about, okay, okay, Jude, you get that paycheck. What do you do? What's the first thing you do? And he's like, uh, put it in the bank. <laughs> Yes, that is yes. That's what you do first, and then what do you do? What do you do after that? Uh, You know, so we have fun talking about how we want to honor God with this money you're making, and I want to train him right now in his very first paycheck. So this is this is a great part of your worship of God right here, and how you can show God you trust Him. And so we're talking about how that looks, how that works. It's so important for us to train up the next generation, and for you and I to live out this principle. Living God's principles opens our lives to God's presence. Now, the tithe is an interesting thing because a lot of people, they start studying the tithe, and they're like, oh, this is just law. It's just a law. We don't follow the law anymore. It's, we're in the age of grace, which we're all thankful for, right? In so many ways. But law, uh, or, or tithe actually predates law, and it actually goes into New Testament as well. When you really, really study this, I mean, you, you can go deep into the study of Stewardship, finances, and tithe in Scripture. There's a lot there. But let's just go to just two places. Two places. Genesis 14. Go back to the beginning. Abram, before he became Abraham, tithed to a guy named Melchizedek. Genesis 14. After Abram returned from his victory over Kedorlamor and all his allies, the king, that's one of the hardest words ever to say in Scripture, honestly, just so you know. Like, I say words out of the Bible all the time. Kedorlaomer. Sorry, that's... Let's just acknowledge the, the weird there, and that's, that's difficult. <laughs> the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shave, and that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread... And wine. Uh. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Now, this is Abram, Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, the father of our faith as well. Melchizedek blessed Abram. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. You want to have a fun study topic? Study Melchizedek. This fascinating study right there. You go deep into Mel- Who was Melchizedek? Now, Melchizedek would have been a forgotten dude, except that he's referenced seven more times later on in Scripture. Like, that was just like four sentences, five sentences. You're like, oh, that was interesting. Abram had encountered Melchizedek. It tied to him. Then Melchizedek blessed him. Interesting. You just would probably move on with your life and with the story of God's people except Psalms references him, and then Hebrews has a bunch to say about him in the New Testament. And so you're like, oh, there was something about that little encounter that Abram had way, 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 way back in the day with this guy named Melchizedek. So I won't read all of what Hebrews says, but uh, here's just two verses of what Hebrews has to say, Hebrews 5. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so then Hebrews brings in this Melchizedek guy here for a couple of chapters. And you're like, whoa. And if you're never familiar with that story, you'd, if you're like me, you jump way back to Genesis. Like, well, who was this Melchizedek? Well, that was a really short story there. It wasn't much. But you see that the New Testament author of Hebrews is linking Jesus to Melchizedek. And he's quoting Psalm 100, verse 4, when he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's the psalm right there. And so there's a link there. Some theologians think that Melchizedek is a Christophany. This is literally Jesus appearing in the Old Testament before he came to fully walk as a man and die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. It's a it's a Christophany or a Theophany. It's an appearance of God in the flesh in the Old Testament. Now, some of you maybe never heard that term Christophany. That happens several times in the Old Testament. Have you heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Interesting story about those guys found in the book of Daniel. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made a, a big, huge statue of himself and made the whole nation bow down and worship him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, "We only bow down and worship God. We're not going to we're not going to worship this idol." And so King Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, well, then anyone who doesn't do this is gonna be thrown in the fiery furnace. You're gonna die. So that's what happened. They were thrown in the fiery furnace. It was so hot that the guards who threw him in there burned up and died. But they just kind of jumped into the fire and were walking around. And there wasn't just three of them. There was another in the fire. There was another one in the fire. It was a Christophany. There's several instances of this within the Old Testament. And so at the very, very least, Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Why else would he bring bread and wine to Abram? He was the king and the priest of God, but the king of Salem later to become Jerusalem. He was a type of Christ. So there's this link between Jesus and this random dude in in Genesis named Melchizedek. And here we see the first instance of a tithe. In a sense, Abram tithed to Jesus. Or at the very least, a type of Jesus, way before the law was ever instituted. Now, let's look at what Jesus has to say. He he actually said the word tithe himself. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is calling out the hypocrites. He's like, yeah, you're still tithing. Which he's like, yeah, keep doing that. That's great, but you're hypocrites because your heart's so far off. Like you don't even love people. Like it's really about your heart. You're just doing this out of legalistic obligation just to follow the law and people look at you and how great and awesome you are. Like keep tithing, but don't neglect justice, mercy, and faith. Like you should actually love people and care about people. And love God. Do out of this, uh, all all of this out of love is what He's saying. And so Jesus is speaking to their heart and calling them hypocrites, which we can be too, if we're not careful. We get into that legalism mindset. We're not doing these things to earn anything from God. We're doing these because we love Him, and I just trust You, God, in it with every area of my life, and I love You. I just love You, Jesus. So you get into the New Testament, you still see tithing there. It was still the base minimum. In fact, every time you go to the New Testament, you look at things from the Old Testament, it's, it's as if the standard has been raised. Do you notice Jesus kind of raised the standard? Like, hey, don't kill anybody, the Old Testament says. Well, Jesus says, if you have hate in your heart, you've already killed them in your heart. Whoa, okay. So Old Testament, don't commit adultery. Fair enough. But Jesus says, if you looked at anyone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. It's about heart. It's about our heart, where our heart is. Jesus is saying. In the Old Testament, you see the tithe, the principle of the tithe all over. You continue to see that in the New Testament, but the principle really becomes give of your whole self, give of everything, serve Him. Jesus, He wants it all. And I pray that's the posture that we have. Jesus, you have it all. My life, my heart. My family, my home, my stuff, my kids, my possessions, my hopes, my dreams, my future. You have it all, Jesus. It all belongs to you. And so as I tithe and I do that, really just builds my faith. That's what it does. It increases my faith. And in a sense, I'm just worshiping God through it. I'm saying, God, it's all yours. It's all yours anyways. So living, living God's principles opens our lives to God's presence. And here's my hope for us. My hope is that you and I would love God so much and we would love his word so much that we want nothing more than to study and read this word more and more and more and more. That's my prayer for us, guys. That we would love going to this book more than we love jumping on our phone and just spending time, just wasting time on our phone. It just, I feel like our phones and, and digital media and all this kind of stuff, it is killing our soul more than we realize. And in, in the hunger and the appetite we have is not to go and spend time in this book and to read and get closer to the Lord and learn more about him and to follow all of his principles. It's, it's just to waste time and doing frivolous things. We do that way, way too much. My prayer for us, guys, is that we would evaluate how we're living and we'd evaluate how much time am I spending with the Lord and, and learning about him and just reading this incredible life-changing book right here It, it, it talks about really cool people like Melchizedek. Man, I, I just pray that we just have a greater hunger for this book, a greater hunger for the Lord and to live according to his principles and to trust him. We would train our kids in this. Like, I know you want to be a great husband or wife or a great husband or wife someday. You can learn about this in this book. You can learn how to have healthy relationships, period, from this book. Learn how to be a great parent. You can learn how to disciple people. You can learn how to manage your money and your finances right here in this book. God wants to help you in every area of your life. You know what's interesting is a recent poll asked this how did you learn about money? Is that what they, yeah. How did you learn about money? And so what they were asking was, how did you learn how to manage your money? And so 52% of people said they taught themselves. 33% said they learned from their parents. And that's probably good or bad, right? <laughs> but I learned from my parents. Uh, 4% said I learned from school. And that was really the extent of the answers right there, which is interesting because you don't see any God, Bible, or church in that. And so it's good for us to address this, guys. It's so important. Like We want to be a place where you can learn how to be debt-free and how to manage your money. If this is an area you're struggling with, this is a major stress point, I'd encourage you, write on your Connect card, I'm interested in Financial Peace University. We want to do Financial Peace University again soon. We'd love to help you, equip you, train you in how to take care of your money in a way that honors God. So we want to do it soon. If you're interested, write your name, your email, Financial Peace University, because again, we just want to be a place that equips you to live in a way where you can walk in financial freedom, not financial stress, and not financial burden. That's our heart. That's our goal. So let us know on that Connect card, Financial Peace University, or FPU for short. We'll know what you're talking about. Now let's take just a few minutes here. These last few minutes, i want to get really practical. And I wanna talk about the other 90. Let's talk about living on the 90. Last week I threw out the 90 day tithe challenge. Maybe some of you wanna do the 90 day tithe challenge for the first time in your life. For the next 90 days, I'm gonna live off of 90% and I'm gonna give 10% to fund the mission of God. Maybe you wanna do that 90 day tithe challenge. Again, if you wanna do that 90 day tithe challenge, write that on your Connect card. Write your name, make sure we got your email. And I'd love to know who's doing it. I'll just send you some encouraging messages here and there. But this could be a great thing for you to do as you learn to live on the 90s. So here's the deal. Living on 90%, it really is a faith relationship with God that will enrich your soul and it will open up heaven over your life. So let's talk about the financial habits of many people. Many people do this. They earn it and then they, spend it, and then they pay it. This is kind of where we start. We kind of just kind of go into all of this, right? So we earn the money. Then we spend the money on what I want, what I've been wanting to spend it on, what I like. I go out to eat, all this. But I got to make sure I pay it too. I got to pay the bills. And then after this, if there's any left over, then we'll give and we'll save. But only if I have money left over. A lot of people live this way. Most Americans aren't doing those last two things. They're not saving and they're not giving. Because we live earn it, spend it, pay it. Well, that's all I got. That was it. But here's biblical financial habits right here. I want to encourage you to have these habits in your life earn it, tithe it, save it, pay it, give it, enjoy it. That's the pattern I'd encourage you to follow. Earn it. Come on, use those gifts and those skills God has given you. Earn that money. Come on, earn that paycheck. And if you don't like your job, get a new one that you like, all right? Just do whatever you got to do, earn it, okay? We work hard for that. We earn the money. Then start with this. Tithe it. Then I save it. Then I pay it. Pay my bills. Being responsible, got to pay those bills, right? Then I give it, and I enjoy it. I promise you, if you live this way, you will enjoy your stuff and your life and your finances so much more because you're living in freedom, friends. I really believe God wants you to enjoy this part of your life. I believe he doesn't want this to be a stressor for you every single week of your life. He wants you to experience freedom. So let me encourage you with that. Earn it, hide it, save it, pay it, give it, enjoy it. So here we go. Consider these three goals. I got some goals for you. I'm gonna give you some financial goals. Is that okay? Goal number one. For some of us, this is the place to start. Goal number one is live on the 90%. Starting there. So this is maybe starting to trust God with that tithe and finding out I can actually live on the 90% better than the 100% because God does something that only he can do. Okay, so start there. Goal number one, live on the 90%. Goal number two. What if you got to the place where you could live on 80%? Think about this, guys. Live on 80%. 10% goes to tithe. 10% goes into savings. I save. I'm constantly saving. Or debt. Okay, if you do FPU, Dave Ramsey will kick you in the financial rear like he did me years ago. And he's like, get out of debt. Get out of debt. And so save a little, he says, and then start just throwing all that into into debt, get out of debt, kill the debt, kill the debt. But then what if you were putting 10% every month into savings? You know that financial experts say that you and I should have three to six months of our salary in savings so that we can make it through the ups and downs of life. How you doing with that? You got that yet? What if you sensed God was calling you to go on a missions trip? What if you sensed he was... Speaking to you to do something or even to give to something. And many of us struggle with that because we're like, oh, I don't have the money. I'd like to, but I don't have the money. But when you live in this way, you got money because you put some money aside and you're able to do things like walk in obedience to God, calling you to give or to go or just to do something that's from God because you've created space and margin financially in your life that you can do that instead of having to live in this place where I can't. Or even get simple little things like a year ago, Amy and I came across this killer deal on a slightly, slightly used fridge. And this fridge was a lot better than our current fridge, which I had continually listened to Amy about how much she hated our fridge over and over and over and over and over again, constantly. So we got this opportunity to look at this fridge and looked at it, and she's like, this is awesome. I want it. This is great. And so thankfully, we had enough margin where we could, again, it was a great deal Otherwise, me, being the penny pincher that I am, would have never done this. But we had margin, like, okay, let's do this. Let's invest in this. This is nice. It's better. It's good for our family. But we were able to do something simple like that that just was a blessing to be able to do. What if you're able to live on the 80%? Here's goal number three. What if you're able to live on 70%? Can you imagine the freedom in your life? Take it to this place. You could live on 70%. Come on, you guys are getting super quiet in here right now. Oh, Lord why don't I just invite John Mark up here to help me close out here? Tithe 10%, uh, 10% goes to savings, 10% goes to investments, if you're putting in for the future too. I mean, think about if you could live off of 70 and you can do that, you're taking care of yourself today and in the future, and I, just think about the implications. What if I could live off of 70%? It's possible, it is possible. In fact, here's the deal. Too many Americans are living off of 110%. And they're not living in financial freedom at all. They're strapped. We got credit cards to the max. We've got all this debt. And you know, I was just reading this week that the National Auto Dealership Association says the average car payment in America right now is $500 a month. Do you know what you could do with $500 a month? If you invested $500 a month for the next 20 years, do you know that you'd be a millionaire? Instead, we gotta pay the car payment because I gotta do it. But what if your mindset began to shift away from getting out of debt, or away from having debt, but to getting out of debt and living in this place where you could live on 70%. Just think about the implications of it. Some people say, well. If I make more, then I'll be able to get to that place easier, right? But have you ever noticed that that this doesn't work? Like our earnings go up and every single time our yearnings go up with our earnings. Have you noticed that to be true? I got more. All of a sudden, I want more. Funny how that happens. Or I have the ability to buy what I've been wanting. But should I do that? This takes intentional planning. This takes you and I going to the Lord and saying, God, how do you want me to handle this that you've given me? Instead of, I want, I want, I need, I need, I gotta keep up with Jones's, you know, that whole mindset. God, how do you want me to live? This is so difficult for people because it takes planning and intentionality and time. Proverbs says this, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. I love how the message says that verse. The message says, careful planning puts you ahead in the long run, but hurry and scurry puts you further behind. Say it right there. So, as I close, let me give you the four most important financial decisions you can make in your life. Four most important financial decisions. Number one, tithe. Number two, make a budget. Some of you that will change your life. Three, get out of debt. And then four, just live generously. Those four financial decisions are the greatest four financial decisions you could make. Tithe, make a budget, get out of debt, and then just live generously. Just be a generous person. Generous people are so fun to hang out with. Have you noticed? They're so much more fun. Be generous, just in life in general. Live generously. And I'd love for you to pray and consider about giving generously or whatever, however the Lord would, would lead you, to our Kingdom Builders project right now, which is Love Where You Live. And so all you have to do is use that giving envelope that's there in front of you. You can give online. You can give via the app as well, our River Church app, or online through the website. Or you can use the offering envelope. Just make sure you notate Kingdom Builders so it goes to Love Where You Live, which is our, we've adopted a neighborhood down the road. We're just loving them. We're serving them. Last week, we were able to bring a bunch of burritos and some chips and some drinks. And I just had a great time just serving and loving a neighborhood right down the road. Remember last week, if you were here last week or if you listened to the message or listened online, you heard Pastor Amy share about, we kicked it off and somebody said yes to Jesus. Pastor Amy shared her story. That person said yes to Jesus. Their life was changed. Awesome, It was awesome. And then last week, we went. Second week, we had a few more people. Some more gringos showed up, which was great. So we invite you to come and join us again. 6: 6.30, right? New Center is where we start. It goes from like 6.30 to 8. And we just have a blast just loving people, connecting with people. Well, we went last Tuesday. And Pastor Mac got invited into a home. He began sharing his story and he led someone to Jesus last Tuesday night. It's happened two weeks in a row. Somebody has given their life to Jesus. So this is awesome because we're we're just loving them practically with food and water and different things. Just being Jesus, but then also giving them the greatest gift they could ever have. And that's a relationship with Jesus which changes their life forever. Like the burritos, that was great, but they're gone by now. But that person who said yes to Jesus last week, their life has changed forever and ever. God is on the move through love where you live, guys. It's awesome. And if you want to help support it, we want to have funding so we can buy groceries and just be a blessing and, and just take care of some needs in that community. Just love for you to give to that. So just mark Kingdom Builders, whenever you give, notated Kingdom Builders will know that it goes to love where you live. So living God's principles, it's important, right? opens up our lives to God's presence. And that's what we want. That's what we need. And so why don't we take a moment to respond right now. Let's, let's stand on our feet. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.